Hello, and welcome to DTR Comics. I'm T. I'm Kaus, and this is super, super formal. And we are here with Matt Rosenberg. Hi. Many, many comics. You know what's funny about that? I almost announced myself as you, because his name is Dallas, I'm T, and so he's the D, I'm the T, and a lot of times you do it with this girl named Rachel, and she's the R. And so in my brain, I was like, D first, Dallas. And then I was like, yeah. that's going to pass. Yeah, you got to go in the order of the, the letters. It's, it's challenging to go the other way. Well, that's the whole podcast. Goodbye, everybody. We messed it up that early. <laughs> oh. Thanks, everybody. Cool. Well, today we're going to talk with you, Matt, about your new comic coming out, Hawkeye Freefall. We're recording this in December. It'll come out the day after Hawkeye drops. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess just to start out, do you want to talk to us a little bit about how you got into comics, how you started being a writer for comics? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I have, I think, a little bit of an unusual origin story in terms of, like, being a writer in comics because I, I love comics my whole life. My... When I was a really, really little kid, my older brother was a comic reader, and you know, he said, "You absolutely can't touch my comics." So every time he would go out, I would sneak into his room and read his comics, and um, you know, them, them, me being not allowed to touch them obviously made them the most exciting thing. And um, yeah, I mean, I just learned to read, reading X Men and and stuff like and Fantastic Four and stuff like that. So I've been a comic fan my whole life, but uh, I never. I never thought about writing comics. I can't draw at all, so I like just the idea of being a writer didn't dawn on me for some reason. And uh, for me, also, like I think comics is a very—it's always been a very sort of solitary thing. Like I'm—I just would go to the comic shop and read my books alone, and and not really talk to people about them. And and I'm still sort of that way in some ways. Like making comics, I have to sort of be out there and promoting and championing and. You know, I have friends who make comics now, but it it's still, I think of it as a very sort of like solitary thing that I do. So I didn't know other people who made comics. I didn't have friends who were like trying to make comics because I just didn't surround myself with those people. Um, and then I spent a long time, I spent a really long time uh, working in the music business and I, I put out records and I toured bands and stuff like that. And I just started to get really sick of the business end of music and wanted to do something else. And the only thing I liked as much as music was comics. So I was like, maybe I'll try and write comics, but I had no idea how to do it. Um, and then I just sort of jumped into that and, and learned as I went. And that's my sort of weird origin story. I mean, I meet a lot of comic creators who are like, oh, yeah, when I was eight, I wanted to make comics and I've been trying to do it since. And I was like, no, I was like 30 so um but you know here we are when i make comics for a living so it, it worked it out in the end i guess i'm curious how long did it take from that oh maybe i should write comics too i can make a living off comics like how long was that you know it, it was a while it's a when you don't know anything about doing something there's a pretty steep learning curve and i you know i was like making all these just rookie mistakes and just terrible and making bad comics. Like I was, I was saving up all my money. I, you know, I, like I had a good record collection and a lot of video games and I sold them all to pay artists and, um, you know, and was getting art made from people I'd find online. And I, I didn't know how to talk to artists. I didn't know how to write scripts for artists. And, you know, I was making bad comics and bad pitches. Um, and I spent probably two or three years doing that. Um, and like self-publishing some stuff. I made a web comic for a little bit, and uh, the, I had other jobs, obviously. And then, you know, it's, it's probably three years of like self-publishing and stuff like that before people were like actually paying me to do it. Making a living was probably another like year or two. Uh, I worked like I worked in a comic shop for a little bit. I worked. Uh, I did publicity for a publisher for a little bit, like. I had a lot of comics adjacent jobs to to make ends meet. Now I just write, but um, it was a it was a while before I, someone actually cut me a check to do it. Looks like what? Just break it down for us and our listeners. Like, what was your path that led you to writing 
from there to riding Hawkeye now? Like, what are some of the milestones? Yeah, yeah. Um, my first, my first, first real, real thing that I did that like was published that someone paid for, because um, I worked in music. Someone put me in touch with. Uh, someone knew that I used to work in music and then was making comics and they put me in touch with uh, Rizzo from the Wu-Tang Clan's management team. That's, I had that on the list of things to talk about, but like, damn, you worked with Wu-Tang Clan, man. That's so cool. Yeah. You're so I learned that today and I was like, what a, what a badass. Look at that. Two worlds crossing. Yeah, yeah, I did a... I mean, it's... Yeah, I wrote a Wu-Tang comic... Um, you know, like I had to put it together. Like I, it was, it was risen Ghostface, and and like I put it together and hired all the artists and everything, and had to find a publisher. And it went through Black Mask, who ended up doing my creator on stuff. I did a book called We Can Never Go Home, and a book called Poor Kids Walking No Bank with them. After that, um, and they're awesome, and I love them dearly. But uh, so that was sort of my first thing. It's pretty easy to get your foot in the door when you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm with the Wu Tang Clan. People will be like, oh, it sort of changes. Um, who will answer your emails a little bit? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, while that stuff was happening, I, uh, I'd sort of gotten, you know, I knew some people at Marvel and was kind of bugging them. And uh, when my first creator-owned book, We Can Never Go Home, came out, I had a couple of people who, who were reading it at Marvel and liked it. And so I did a 10-page a short in Secret Wars Journal, and that was my first Marvel book. And then I did a Quake story i did a quake one shot uh with daniel warren johnson and from there it just sort of like it it it's funny because they you know like a traditionally a, a marvel like a sort of career in marvel is like what they'd like to happen i think is like you do a short story and if it works you do a one shot and if it works you do a mini series and if it works you do an ongoing and so i did i did a couple of the steps that you're supposed to do i did the short and i did the one shot and i did a then they asked me to do a Kingpin miniseries. And then all of a sudden I was writing six books a month. And I was like, oh, it, it just sped up really fast. And I was doing Secret Wars Journal and Kingpin and Rocket Raccoon and um, a ton of stuff. And, you know, I spent a long time. I ended up doing a book called Tales of Suspense, which was a Hawkeye and the Winter Soldier team-up book. And when it finished, like, the people at Marvel really liked it. And it sort of has a, was, has a cult following and and people were pretty passionate about it um it's not the you know biggest book in the world but like it, it did what it was supposed to do and, and got people excited about those characters and they said you know would you want to do more with anybody and i said i'd love to do a hawkeye book and and so i pitched the book right during tales of suspense and they were pretty into it but um then i got uncanny x-men and the punisher was extended i was i wasn't going to stay on the punisher as long as i did and so then I was like, I, Hawkeye's a book I really want to pay a lot of attention to and give it a lot of focus. So I, I sort of had to put it on the back burner for a little bit until like I could really focus on it and we could get the right art team and everything. And, and Marvel was very cool about that and, and held the book for me. And uh, so I wrapped on X-Men and Punisher and I was like, okay, let's go on Hawkeye. So I've sort of been, it's been something I've been working on for over a year and a half and in various shapes and sizes. So. I'm very excited for it to come out finally. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I do want to talk more about Hawkeye, but I'm curious, what do you like doing the self-published books and the things that you come up with, or the big characters working with a major publisher more? You know, it's it's funny when I was like trying to be trying to figure out how to be a writer and how to do this. I would read all these interviews with the writers I loved and a lot of them were doing their own stuff and Marvel stuff or DC stuff. And, you know, they'd always get asked like, you know, is it different? Like how, 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 what's the difference? And, and all these writers were always like, Oh, it's totally different to write your own book versus writing a, a Marvel book or a DC book. It's a totally different skill set. And I just remember I read over and over writers. I loved answering that question and every time they'd all be like, it's a very different job. And I, every time I read it, I'd be like, what a pretentious answer. It's just writing, like get over yourself. And <laughs> now that I do it, um, it's very different. They're, they're two very different jobs. <laughs> all the people who had the job knew what they were talking about more than the guy who wanted the job, surprisingly. Um, but I, I like them both. I, I described it once as like, um, 
writing a superhero comic, like writing a Marvel book or a DC book, is like getting in a car and going on a road trip where you have a destination. Like you, you have a map and they tell you where you have to end up and, and you go there and it's, and it's sort of, you can take fun detours and you can make an adventure of that, but, but it's a very linear kind of thing because you can't break everything. You can't do crazy. You can't do things that aren't all plotted out for you in a certain way. Like you plot it out with them, but like, it's all approved by the company. And at the end of the day, I can't just be like, Oh yeah. And at the end of this book, like, Hawkeye kills Thor. Like, I can't do that. Marvel would be like, no, we do need a Thor book. Um, whereas, like, when you have your own thing, it is really just a wild... It's the Wild West. It's it's getting in a car and just driving with no destination in mind. And, like, the adventure that comes from that. Um, when I did a book called Four Kids Walk No Bank with my buddy Tyler, and we... You know, it's a it's a very sort of it's a comedy and it's and it's weird and it's about child bank robbers but it's it's sort of grounded in a reality a little bit like it is and we just had all these like we just kept playing with the idea of just making it totally absurd at the end that it would just be like oh yeah it's entirely like it plays with these kids fantasy and then we we're like what if they just like end up in space at the end of it and like it's the kind of thing you, we didn't do that because it would have been terrible but it's the kind of thing we could have because it's ours and no one tells us what to do and so that is like both very freeing in a fun way, but also really terrifying to like, you know, you can really take a, take a, take a book off the rails and do something really stupid um, with it, which is, is tempting a lot of the time. So, you know, I like them both for different reasons. Um, I did this, I want Rosenberg cut of four kids walking the bank where it's like the end of Greece and they just fly away at the end, like look in the camera. Yeah, yeah, we did. We we literally talked about that. Like, we literally like the 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 end. Not to spoil the book, but there is a part where they're in a car and they try and jump something, and we were like, "What if the car just never comes down?" And like that was something we talked about, where it's just like, just the sort of surrealist like storytelling at the end, where people were like, "Why did they just fly into space?" And we'd be like, "Cause that's cool." Um, but we didn't do it. But like, there is a nod to it in the book because we we like we definitely talked about it and it was something we were very much considering doing. Um, I'm, I'm very glad we didn't do it, but we thought about it. It reminds me, um, have you seen the movie hot rod? Yeah. A long time ago. Like when it came out, I saw it. See, this is like, it's just super weird. And I just remember getting like near the end of that movie and being like, I have no idea how this is going to end. Cause they like lead up to this big thing he's going to do. And I'm like, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to die. I don't know if it's like not going to happen and someone's going to start a riot and like tip him over. It's just, like, I have no idea. And it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think like indie comics when they're at their, their most fun, like they'll give you a lot of those moments where you're just like, Oh, there aren't really rules in the same way. Like, you know, there's going to be a X-Men comic in a month. There's going to be a Hawkeye, you know, Hawkeye's going to be an Avenger next year. Like, I can't totally derail him and destroy him or change everything. Like, we try and make it exciting and have twists and evolve the characters and give them new stories. But, like, at the end of the day, like, they're bigger than us as the creators. Like, they're going to keep going. You know, there'll be Hawkeye comics when I'm dead. So I can't do as much whereas when it's my own thing it's like yeah exactly there is a sense of like and i love that in indie comics that sense of just like not knowing where it's going to go and and you know in movies too there's there's that real like it can be really fun and dangerous and scary in a, in a great way like that so shifting we'll come back to your indie stuff because it's great but like shifting towards hawkeye um i guess what what's your elevator pitch for your run on hawkeye Oh man, I'm I'm terrible at elevator pitches. Uh, the, the the like basically uh, what Hawkeye is is it's it's Clint Barton again. Um, it was weird. Marvel's doing Kate Hawkeye books for a little bit, but we're doing a Clint book, and it's it's Clint basically um, getting it over his head and you know, taking, taking something too far. He, he has a run in with the hood. Who's one of my favorite villains. And, um, and it kind of his, his fight with the hood goes badly and he kind of gets obsessed with it in a way that, that I think is very Clint and, and he, 
you know, he can't kill the hood. He doesn't seem to be able to stop him. And so he's just kind of like, I'm just going to mess with him. I'm just going to make his life miserable. And everyone around Hawkeye is kind of like, this is a really dangerous guy. Like, this isn't someone, like, he's sort of out of Hawkeye's weight class. He's like a crime boss with, like, demonic powers. He's not just a guy, like, you know, on off the street. And everyone's like, Clint, this is kind of a terrible idea. Like, you shouldn't be messing with this guy like this. And Hawkeye just, it, it's a joke uh, that he takes too far. He just goes too far with it. And, it. and it becomes this sort of obsession. And he keeps escalating this war because he's too proud and too stubborn to not. And his friends are trying to help him. And it's it's sort of a self-destructive thing. And um, there's a terrible elevator pitch. But um, but so like so, that, that. Yeah, that's what we're doing. It's just this like my original pitch for the book before it was called Hawkeye Freefall. I wanted to call it Hawkeye. It's not funny anymore because I, I like <laughs> I wanted to be like, it's a funny book and it's a comedy. But it is about like taking a joke and just like keeping it going. And that's like Hawkeye's thing. It's like he's just not he's just frustrated and upset and he doesn't know what to do other than just be like kind of the jack, the stubborn jackass. Um, and at the same time in the book, there's a, there's sort of a, another, a, another story that's going on that there's a new Ronin who appears and Hawkeye in the early two thousands died and it's comics. And so he came back and he came back as Ronin and there's a, a mystery who he was for a while. Um, and now there's a new Ronin, except the new Ronin is like kind of terrifying and is like not really necessarily a good guy. And so while Hawkeye is like doing all these things that don't make sense to people, there's someone dressed in his old costume, like terrorizing people and all his friends and everyone kind of think, is this him? And he has to like figure out how to stop Ronin because it's making his life harder in the bad choices he's already making. Um, so there's a whole mystery of who Ronan is and how they're related to him. And yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, it's a complicated, it sounds more complicated than it is. Uh, if I actually had to do the elevator pitch, I was like, I'd say like, it's Hawkeye, it's Hawkeye uh, trying to be a hero and taking, uh, and going too far. Yeah. I like it. Honestly, sold. I mean, I was already going to get it, but sold. That sounds cool. <laughs> Thank you. It's like, I feel like there's something kind of human about that. We all know, and you're kind of like, I want to get back at this person, but then it like escalates and like, oh dear. Yeah. So I'm I mean, that kind of almost human aspect of that story that you see in a human in a hero. Yeah, you know, I I I made a bunch of like promotional videos for comic stores the other day, and I had to make like I had to make 50 of them or something, and it's just me talking into a camera, and it's you know, uh, kind of awful and. And I just was rambling and saying weird stuff, but I kept being like, this is about Hawkeye, the best Avenger. And all these people watched it and were like, why do you keep saying he's the best Avenger? And honestly, like I didn't, I was just being a jerk and trying to be funny. But the more I thought about it, I, in a lot of ways, I think Hawkeye is the best Avenger because he's so human. He's not, you know, he, he's a real like, you know, people always say like, well, Peter Parker is the best sort of eyes, the best POV character of the Marvel Universe because he's a very relatable guy. But he still has a spider sense and he's still married to a supermodel and he's still, you know, can super strong and web slinging and all this stuff. And he's really smart. And Hawkeye, Hawkeye is like much more human. Hawkeye is just really good at one thing. He's a good archer. He doesn't have a magic suit or armor. He's not a mutant or anything. And Hawkeye's origin, he, he was a villain. Um, he's not like inherently a bad guy. He was just a kid with a rough upbringing who made a bunch of bad choices and was kind of into looking out for himself because no one else would. And Captain America sort of set him right and was like, you could be better than this. You could help people. And, and so that's what he does. He just drives, he tries really hard and he's compensating for a lot of mistakes he made and he's you know, and he's funny and he's kind of crazy to compensate for the fact that he's just a guy who's really good at shooting arrows. And like, in that way, like I find him the most relatable character in the Marvel universe. Like he's very, like he, you know, he fucks up a lot of his relationships. He's like, makes bad choices and then is trying to figure out how to undo them. And he's really stubborn, but he's like nice and people like him. I, I just really like, you know, Captain America's great. Like I love Captain America, but like, Captain America is an aspirational character in a lot of ways. Like Captain America is sort of perfect guy and, and Hawkeye's not Hawkeye's like anyone he's, he's making mistakes and he's, he's just trying his best to like 
do good as best he can and he knows he's not perfect. And so, yeah, I wanted to do a story that was very sort of relatable. And, and so early on, he, he just gets really frustrated with like what he what his limitations are and, and he's trying to figure out how to get around those and it's not working. And so that's, you know, a big driving force of the book is like the sort of the limitations of just being the Avenger who's just a regular guy. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, you know, I think it's a fun thing to explore with him because he is still in this fantastical world and we have, you know, Spider-Man shows up in the book and Daredevil shows up and Luke Cage is there and all these characters are there who are so magical and amazing, but he's just, you know, having breakfast in Brooklyn and, you know, like living a normal life. Yeah. So. I think that um, sounds really fun. Yeah. <laughs> So with Hawkeye having like this long history that clearly you're well versed in and with like, these legendary runs by like Matt Fraction and David Aha's Hawkeye, it's influenced everything since, you know? So like, how does it feel to jump on to a book like this or like when you did X-Men to a character that has so much history? And like, is there a weird responsibility that comes with that? I mean, it, it's funny because I, I view Hawkeye and X-Men very, very differently in, in a way because, I mean, yes, Hawkeye has been, I've loved Hawkeye since I was a kid. And, you know, there was this Avengers Spotlight solo Avengers book that's were Hawkeye books that are just great comics. And, you know, like I, I love him in the Bendis run and he's just in a ton of ton of great, great stories. But the Matt Fraction, David Aha run is like redefining what the character is and like in a lot of ways what marvel comic could be and so you you come across a very weird problem that you don't get in other books because what a hawkeye title is now is a very different thing than almost everything else marvel publishes and i think you know i i, I went and i reread uh matt and david's run and i went and reread jeff lemire's run and kelly thompson's run and you know all of them did great books but i i noticed the thing is that like you have this weird problem where you someone did something and it's great and beloved and it works well, but it's so unique that if you try and do it again, you're like the shitty cover band version of the thing that everybody loves. And it's, I was like, you know, I could do an impression of them. It would bum them out. It would bum the fans out. It would bum me out. And it would be like, it would be fine. Um, but then, so you're looking for things to like change, but you kind of, you know, a lot of times you'll get a you'll get a book and you'll be like, well, I didn't like this, so I'm going to change it. With that book, it's like, well, I love the book, and now I'm looking for things to change, so I'm not ripping it off. Um, and so it's a it's a weird problem to have because you're reinventing the wheel when the wheel works fine. And um, that was that, and it, it's funny because like I think Jeff Lemire and, and Kelly Thompson did a great job of that of like taking elements from Matt's Matt's writing, but making it their own and making it unique. And so that's sort of what I spent a long time trying to figure out like, you know, how, how is this book going to pay tribute to the stuff that works and, and nod to it and feel unique because a Hawkeye book now has to feel different than other Marvel books. Like that's just, people expect that. So how are we going to do that, but also do something that doesn't feel like just a retread? Um, and that's a hard, it's a hard tightrope to walk. I mean, I have a bunch of stuff. I mean, I think when people see it, they'll see the stuff that is like, leaning into what Matt and David did and the stuff that's sort of leaning away. But one of the things I wanted to do is like, I wanted to be a little more of a superhero book. Their book was very much about Hawkeye and his downtime. And he's obviously fighting people and using his bow and arrow and helping people, but it's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, the, it, there aren't Avengers. And like when people show up, it feels like they're coming into the Hawkeye book rather than his book is in the Marvel universe. That's how it felt to me. And so we wanted a very much a, a, a lot of guest stars, very much firmly entrenched. And I think the book in a lot of ways is like, uh, you know, it's a little bit more of a traditional, like there's a supervillain, but then it's how does Hawkeye approach that differently from how any other hero would approach it. And so that was a big thing. Um, and obviously like David Aha's art is so stunning and flawless that it's not replicable. <laughs> We're not going to get someone to just rip it off, but Otto Schmidt is drawing the book and, and he's just amazing. And so I, th I think like, you know, I, I really wanted to lean into what he's good at and he's really good at characters and acting and action and, and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, it's very much still a character driven book and, but it, it, it does feel, 
different. You know, it's just it's just about trying to have a book that feels different, but still like pays respect. Um, and that's really hard. I feel like a book like X Men. When I took over on Canny X Men, there are so many X Men books, and they feel so different, and and that you you don't feel an obligation to like nod to anything in specific or particular. You can sort of touch on things or go your own way. Um, Hawkeye less so. So I I hope people dig it and see. You know, I, I'm I'm waiting for people to just be like, well, it it rips off Fraction and Aha too much, or like it doesn't rip them off enough. And I'm sure I will get both of those reactions. But um, you know, we're 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 trying to walk a very uh, fine line, and I, I I'm I'm pretty happy with how we're doing it. That's fun. See, I I was curious about that because the first I started reading Uncanny X Men today because he had it and he's like, okay, before we talk to Mark, you should read this. And there's like so much backstory. I do not know any X Men stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that was just after a while because I kept on being like, who's this? Who's that? And half the time you had answers, and half the times you're like, just keep going, just go with it. It's X Men. Just go. There's a lot of X Men. Yeah, there's you know yeah there's hundreds of X Men and it it is it is sort of an overwhelming thing and it's it's always hard to figure out how to how to balance that. I mean I I remember when I gave uh there there's a scene in Uncanny Eleven or in Uncanny Ten the the tenth issue that I wrote where where Cyclops comes back and he's been dead for a few years and and he returns and I gave the book to my dad who was not a comic book reader or marvel fan but he he read my stuff and i just he called me and i just remember he said like this guy with the glasses shows up like i know it's important because it's framed like it's important but i don't know who that guy is and i was like yeah and i was like that's cyclops he's the leader of the x-men and he was like what percentage of people who read uncanny x-men are going to know that and i was like 99.99 like it is cyclops is one i mean i don't expect but but then you get into like you know glob and armor and surge and you know chamber and it's like these are not household names even among people who are like pretty regular x-men readers so it is it is hard and it's you know it's a weird tightrope because you don't want to spend your time being like this is chamber and he's from england and he blew part of his face off and like because a lot of people who read the book already know that and you don't want to like talk down to the fans but you also want people who've never read it to pick it up and it's that's always a big challenge to figure that out and and make something that's both accessible but not you know isn't isn't just training wheels um and x-men is probably the hardest book to do it on because you have such a big thing I mean, I obviously I have more X Men than T does, but like your X Men was where I jumped back in after I read like some of the Bendis stuff, and then I was just like, ah, goodbye. And then like I like your stuff, so I hopped back on, and like it took me a second, but I feel like you did a good job of being oh. like, this is a jumping on point for an X Men book, and like at the end of the day, it's still an X Men book. X Men references X Men, and it's like its own little world, you know? Yeah. But, I felt up to speed. I felt like I followed a cool story. And, but like a big question I had, obviously House of X, Power of X happened right after your run. Like, yeah. I don't know if this is confidential material, but like when did you know that was going to happen? And like, how did that affect your run on X-Men? Um, but we knew, uh, I've been writing X-Men stuff for a bit. I've been writing, I wrote Phoenix Resurrection and, uh, New Mutants and Multiple Man, and um, uh, there were. I knew that Jonathan was in talks with Marvel to come do stuff at that time to come do X stuff, but we didn't know if you know when it was going to be or or I knew obviously if Jonathan Hickman comes back, it's it's huge. He's one of the biggest writers in comics, and it would change everything. Um, shortly before I, my timing might be off my memory but sh- i think shortly before we took uncanny x-men me and kelly and ed took over writing i think it was right before uh we met with jonathan we talked to jonathan and he walked us through what was going to happen in in house of x and powers of 10 and and was just like this is it this is how it works you guys have this much time get everything in order so it's unusual because I, I, 
a lot of people have been like, oh, were you, did you, was it really like sort of, uh, were you handcuffed because you had an end date and, and a story coming after you? And, and that's not, I always sort of view, viewed it as like it was a really fun opportunity to do stuff we couldn't do otherwise because we knew what he was doing and we knew there would be these chances that he he was going to organically undo things that we could do. And so we could do crazier things. We could do some. <laughs> yeah. So we, we could do, we could do some. The, the yeah i mean it was it was it's a weird thing i mean it's just not how these things normally work normally like you know you take the writer takes the toys out and plays with them and uh then sort of the expression is always like you have to put them back in the box at the end for the next writer um but we didn't have to do that like we knew what he was doing and so you know marvel sort of gave me marching orders to like you know, this is the end of an era of X-Men, like end it. And and they said, I, I was in a meeting once and they were like, Jonathan is, we want Jonathan to bring the X-Men into a new light. Like he's bringing in a new era and it's triumphant and it's huge. You have to take them to a very dark place so that when they step out into the light, it'll be more triumphant and more. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I, I grew up on the Chris Claremont X-Men and reading those, and those were very dark, intense books very often, and, you know, Mutant Massacre and uh, the Outback Saga and all those books, Dark Phoenix, are, like, very intense, and X-Men are dying, and X-Men are getting, you know, losing their powers, and, and there's just a lot of heartbreak and tragedy. And, uh, you know, someone at Marvel said to me once, they were like, you know, there's all these eras of X-Men and this is the end of this era. And I said, what do you consider this era? And they said, the, the start of this era is Grant Morrison's new X-Men. And I was like, OK. And, you know, like the, it's not a technical term. It's just how they view things that they were just like, this is, you know, that that was a major turning point in X-Men. This is a major turning point in X-Men. And Grant started his X-Men by killing eight million mutants on Genosha. Like he just has Sentinel show up and blow it up. And I was like, well, you know, if this era starts with 8 million mutants dying, it's going to end with, like, the X-Men fighting to the death to, like, see if there's a future for them. So, you know, it, it came from a, it was a very dark book and, and sort of came from a thing, but we knew that there was a bright light, like, the end of the tunnel was right there. We knew what it was before we got into it. So, um, you know, it was, a, it was a unique opportunity to do something, I think, a little crazier than normally this an x-men book would allow yeah i i would agree i remember like specifically after i guess spoiler alert if you haven't read it but like after banshee tied like i remember going on the internet and everyone freaking out and i was just like no one cared before right now but like yeah. your run did that you know like you were the x-men writer that was like all right time to kill the x-men and yeah. like it felt real and it's funny coming from an x-men book where, like everyone's been dead and everyone's come back but like you had a way of writing where I was like, well, damn, goodbye forever, all the characters I like. And yeah. it was cool and it was visceral, you know? Like, Thank you. You are at that state in a very cool it, way. It, the, funny, the funny thing to me always in, in when people would like get upset, people would be like, you killed Multiple Man and Strong Guy and Banshee, and they would list X-Men I killed. And I was like, I actually brought a bunch of those characters back from the dead when I took over their books. Like, Multiple Man was dead when I did the Multiple Man book. Strong Guy was in hell when I got New Mutants. Um, Banshee was essentially dead, like when I took over Astonishing X Men, and I was like, "Yeah, I, I killed a lot of these people, but like they were dead when I got them, and I just returned them to dead." So it was it was funny because I, you know, I think uh, because of the scope of it, people um, people were a little shocked more than just like a character dying in an arc. But like, uh, I was like, some of these people weren't weren't alive four months ago. Like, you need to calm down. Like they were just here because I told them to be here, and now they're gone again. If I wasn't here, you wouldn't have even had Banshee and Multiple Man. And uh, but you know, I I, I kind of you know that's the the great thing about superhero comics and X Men especially is is that people are so passionate about the stuff. It's why we can exist. It's why they exist because people really do live with these characters month in and month out for their whole lives. And so like. I get it when when you see someone blow up or get killed like it it should hit people hard they should be upset like that's that's the point and so um you know I I I sort of 
you know, I never want to make people too upset. I don't want to make people so sad, but like it, it's art and it's story and you're supposed to feel something. And if what you feel is upset that a character you love died and yeah, I mean, that's how it works. Sometimes I was, I was sad when Han Solo died and he yeah. still died, you know? Yeah. Uh, Han Solo died. Rip. Um, do you have any more questions yeah, about spoiler. X-Men? Spoiler, Han Solo died. Sorry. <laughs> no, true story. I was, I was like doing a church mission trip while Star Wars 7 came out. Mm. And my girlfriend at the time and I got in a fight. And she just ended an email. P.S. Han Solo dies. And so like, <laughs> it was devastating. I, I yeah. just like looked down and was like, what? Like you took that away from me? And I have to just deal with that now? That's a that's a yeah that's a heavy way to end an email. Yeah, it was low blow. <laughs> it was cool, man. That's a testament of how well she knows you. It's like, how can I get to Dallas? It's really yeah. Star Wars. It's Star Wars for him. <laughs> uh, cool. I don't know if I have any other questions about X Men. Sweet. Um, so I guess one more question, like one more. So you right now you're writing Annihilation Scourge. Yes. And great, by the way. What's it like writing an event comic for Marvel? Like what's it like being in the cosmic world now? Talk about that. Yeah, um it's it's uh, I'm having so much fun doing it. I for me, like I love the cosmic books. I always love them, but like they're so crazy and weird and like uh I can't speak to the other writers, but like uh I'm straight edge, so like I'm not drinking or doing drugs out there. And I read some of these books, and I'm like, I could never write this. Like I couldn't, you know, when when Adam Warlock shows up and fights reality, I'm like, I don't know what that means really. Like I love reading it, but like that's just not how my brain works. But the original Annihilation is a book that like made space stuff make sense to me because it's just a war story, and it 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 really grounded it. And so I've always been a big fan and champion of that. And so that to me was like when they came to me and were like, you know, do you want to do Annihilation? Like, I think there are some books where they were like, you, you know, if they were like, do you want to do Adam Warlock? I'd be like, I don't think I can. Like, it's too crazy for me. Like, I'll, I'll be happy to read it when it comes out, but it's not, I'm not the brain. My brain doesn't work that way. But but Annihilation was something where I was like, yes, like, I, I know what that is. It's a war story and it's, a, you know, it's superheroes in a war. Like, I can, I can figure that out. I can do that. Um, so it, it is a great way to sort of dip my toes into the cosmic stuff, which I haven't really done. I did a Rocket Raccoon book, but he was on Earth the whole time. So it wasn't really a cosmic book. It was like, you know, he was in Times Square and eating out of the trash and stuff. It wasn't really like the most space crazy book. Um, he takes the Staten Island Ferry and he gets arrested on the subway. It's like, meh, that's, that's my Marvel Universe. But <laughs> the... Universe... Uh, yeah, the, the rocket. I, I mean, I love Rocket on Earth. He's very fun to do, and and so it's a. Uh, but I think a lot of people want to see him in space in space bars with, you know, doing space things. <laughs> um, but in terms of doing the event, like it's it's been really fun. When they when they first came to me, they were like, you know, do you, we knew it was gonna be six oversized issues, and and we sort of start we got a late start on it. Like there was just a bunch of stuff going on, and we sort of couldn't. You know, it sort of wasn't in motion until after it should have been in motion. Um, and so initially I was going to write the whole thing. And so I came up with this structure that that's kind of weird. Like there's the alpha and omega and then the four one shots. And I wanted to make sure, um, you know, I, I spent years like, you know, counting counting the change I could find in my couch to figure out how many comics I could buy on Wednesday. Like I, I understand the ask of asking someone to spend four or five bucks on a book. And... And so I, I, I was like, well, if I want to do this, I want to make sure that, like, if we're doing these one-shots, Silver Surfer, Fantastic Four, Nova, Beta Ray Bill, like, I, not that I want them to be skippable, but I want them to be something that if you're a Fantastic Four fan and you want to read it, you don't have to read the Beta Ray Bill issue or the Silver Surfer issue. Like, I, I was like, I want each one-shot to feel like an actual one-shot, like its own story, but also lead the book and the event on and like have a point and it's not just you know everything would be pieces of a puzzle but like satisfying on their own which is a very 
hard way to build a story to be like, yeah, it's six pieces that are detachable and, and can exist on their own, but are also one big story. Um, and then at a certain point, we realized that like I couldn't do all of it. I didn't have the time or the bandwidth to do all six issues. And it would be much cooler if we could get some of the people who did the original Annihilation stuff to come back. And um, and they got Dan Abnett and Christos Gage, who both did ori- uh, like stuff in Annihilation originally. And I'm a huge fans of both of them. And so it was like, oh, this is awesome. But then it was terrifying because I was like, I, I don't know how to make this event like I built this in my head and it's kind of complex. And so we spent a long time on the phone and emailing about like how, how I wanted it to work. Um, and like, those guys are all so pro and so good at their jobs that like they took it and were like, Oh, but it would be better if it went like this. And I'd be like, but this part's really important. Like this feeds into all these other issues. And they're like, no, no, we got it. We got it. Like it'll work. Um, and what they came back with was awesome. So I, I, in a lot of ways, like it, you know, I wrote it like a very complicated book and then it turned into this sort of event with a, a bunch of different creative on it. And I got sort of the best experience from that because, you know, they're going off of my planning the event, but they're taking it and running with it and making it their own because they are one shots and they can do whatever they want in them to a degree. And and so it's like, yeah, I mean, I loved it. It was a super fun experience to do because you got to see... You know, and then I have to sit there and fit all the puzzle pieces together, which was really like just a fun challenge. And and yeah, I mean, the book is better because they're involved in the end. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, every event is different. I've tied into a bunch of the other ones. I did stuff for Civil War and Secret Wars and War of the Realms and just a ton. And they're all they all work differently. And it depends who's doing them and how closely they, they work. But um being at being at the front of it was was very cool and and very very weird but very fun awesome um i'll stay in annihilation you tweeted the other day about how you went to go get your nova book for your mom and they didn't have it and it was a whole funny thing but like what's your relationship like with nova with your mom liking it like do you have a desire to write more nova was that intimidating to write your mom's favorite book? Um, okay, it's confession time. Uh, oh, my, mom, oh. my mom doesn't like Nova. She doesn't care. Um, the uh, my yeah, I, I just did it to drum up some sympathy. The uh, I love Nova. Um, yeah. The so it it was intimidating to me just from the fact that I love him and he's a character that doesn't get a lot of love. Like he's just not really around very much. And so bringing it back. Sorry, I have no idea. You have no idea who Nova is? No, I have no idea who Nova is. Nova's like, in the in the 70s, they were like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a Spider-Man in space? Is basically the origin of Nova. Um, he's kind of a... I never realized how closely he is related. To, like, he's basically Marvel's Green Lantern. But he's a, he's a kid from Long Island who gets a dying planet, the last warrior of a dying planet tries to find someone who can defend the planet. And they just grab this 16 year old kid from high school and send him into space. Um, but he's like, you know, uh, the same kind of idea as Spider-Man. He's like great power comes great responsibility, but in space and he can fly. And um, he's great. I, I think he's a really fun character. I, re- I really like him. And um, I've always liked him. I, I love the new warriors book. He was on the new warriors. And when I was a kid and, um that was a book that i really really loved a lot but yeah i I, he it's always weird when there's a character who's not you know like if you write captain america and you do a crappy job it's like well there's gonna he's gonna be in 10 other books this month like you you can you kind of feel like a little bit of a weight is off of you i mean obviously you don't want to write captain america bad but like people captain america fans can get their fix in other places um Nova, Nova's not anywhere else. Like he hasn't been anywhere else in a bit. Like he's he's appears in an issue of Guardians of the Galaxy here. He appears there. Like, and so you you really feel like the 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 weight of those fans because to a lot of people he is their favorite character. Like every Marvel character is someone's favorite character, and so you really do want to like do justice to that. And and Nova when we had our, our roster of people, I was like, well, it's Silver Surfer. He's just in a book. He was just in Donnie Silver Surfer book. It's Beta Ray Bill. He was just in Donnie's Guardians. 
Fantastic Four and Dan's Fantastic Four, and they pop up everywhere. And then it was like, Nova really should be the heart and soul of this event because, like, Nova fans, if, if he gets, you know, shortchanged for the Fantastic Four, like, that's not fair to Nova fans. Like, they want to see him back. Um, so my joke online about my mom loving Nova was uh, sort of based on that. That it's like, yeah, no, I, I, I really do uh, think about, you know, the weight of, like, what this character means to a lot of people. Like, I, you know, as soon as I got the book, like, there's a Nova uh fan you know the nova fan page like reached out to me and we're like hey can you do an interview like we'd love to interview you and you know i'm supposed to clear everything with marvel and talk to them and i was like hey i really need to talk to the nova fan page because like they've been waiting for nova to be here and like uh you know i, I it would suck if nova comes back and i'm just like no i'm not gonna talk to you i'm gonna go talk to someone else um and so i you know i did an interview with them because it was like you know they're they're keeping the lights on for nova they're the torchbearers of nova and and you want to make sure that you you know you think about those fans first and foremost so yeah i mean it's a pretty heavy thing but um my mom doesn't ever read my comics i give them all to her but she doesn't she doesn't like them <laughs> that's okay i realize it's very different but like i texted my mom this morning I'm like i'm talking to a comics guy i really like and she's like that's great honey don't know what that means I yeah I, I was like okay yeah um, Thanks I for being happy. <laughs> yeah, I tell my mom. My mom sometimes will be like, "Well, what's happening in your comics?" And I'll tell her a story, and she always gives me the same note. She's always just like, "They're so sad." <laughs> She's like, "Why are you, all your stories so sad?" I'm like, "I don't know." I think it makes her worry about me. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's also funny because my mom is a uh, was a writer and and wrote a slasher movie, and so when she really is like very bummed out about it, I'm like, "Mom, you wrote a movie where a guy." scalps women and collects their scalps and puts them on mannequins like i'm not i'm not really worried about your notes on why this is a little sad that nova's having a hard time <laughs> um so weird we're different <laughs> yeah we're different Nova's just bummed out <laughs> yeah he's not no one no one is jumping on the hood of a car with a shotgun and shooting people um <laughs> the, uh, which you know uh the, these are the things that happen when your mom writes slasher films, but uh, won't read a comic book. Yeah. Well, we love your comic books, and the Nova fan page loves your comic books. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, I have one more thing. Do you have anything for Captain Allison? No, I don't think so. I'm just kind of like I'm taking over, but I went That's and got fine. got this bad boy today, the hardcover. Oh, awesome. Kids Walking came out today. It was like. It's been in my Amazon cart for so long, but I like to try and like support my comic shop, you know? Like, sure. Awesome. Yeah. And then on your Twitter, literally, you're like, hardcover came out. I was like, I'm talking to him today. I have to do it. So this book was amazing. Like, oh. You, it? you bought yeah. it today and read it? I oh. bought it today, and I, like, I drove home from the comic shop. It was like two hours before we called you. I was like, I can do it. And so <laughs> I just like locked myself in the room, and Wow. It was so good. Thank like, you. so, so funny. I have nothing but the highest praise for this book. It's honestly one of my very favorite things I've read in a long time. I looked at my roommates that read comics with me, him and one other, and I was like, guys, this might be the best comic I've read in like the last month. They're like, oh, but you've been reading Giant Days. And I'm like, I know Giant Days is great, guys, but four kids walk into a bank. It's right. so, and like, I loved the humor in it. I love the characterization. Um, and I feel like I'm just, gosh, I don't really have any major questions about it, but like, do you have any other indie projects in mind? Any other things on the horizon? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a couple that I can't talk about it, but um, Tyler Boss, who drew Four Kids and, you know, is my co-creator of that book um, with me. Uh, we're doing a book next year for Image, or when this airs, it'll be this year, uh, for Image called What's the Furthest Place From Here? That's um, sort of a, a dystopian, post-apocalyptic coming-of-age story. Uh, it's about uh, gangs of gangs of kids who live uh, in sort of the wasteland of America. And um, our story is about the, the kids who, who live in a record store, in an old abandoned record store, and they sort of worship the records. And um, one of them 
one of them vanishes and and it's sort of a mystery and about exploring the world and and finding out you know who they are and where people go and and what it means and um it's sort of a someone someone read the first issue and was like it's high fidelity meets uh mad max which i think is a really good tagline but i don't think it's exactly accurate but it's it's like uh yeah i mean it's like a you know a kids coming figuring out who they are but after the world has ended sort of the pitch i like that i love on the back of this edition when kieran gellen says imagine tarantino does goonies and excellent like i like the it sounds like this upcoming book is a little bit goonies as well and yeah one of my favorites yeah, I mean, there's a there's that sort of genre of like, especially in in film. There's like, I mean, it's funny because we're kind of in a renaissance. I think we're hitting a point where people who grew up on, you know, the the Amblin stuff, like the Spielberg stuff and Goonies and and John Hughes movies, we're hitting a point where like, people who were really like indoctrinated by those movies, um, are now are now making stuff and and sort of paying tribute to that. So like, you see it a bunch in in different things, but, um. Yeah, I mean that that stuff's a, a you know a big influence. I grew up on that stuff, and and it was a big part of growing up for me. So like when I tell stories about growing up, that sort of it's filtered through that lens sometimes. And and this was something we wanted to do. I mean, Four Kids Walking No Bank for me and Tyler was a big love letter to like a lot of the stuff we we really care about, like you know just the the comics and and the movies and the TV shows and stuff that we love and uh sort of all the stuff that was left on the cutting room floor of that book we we're like let's do a book with all those other things like the sci-fi stuff we love and the horror and the like you know the that kind of stuff so like this is sort of our uh, you know I, I said to someone it's sort of a spiritual sequel if this point of a sequel was to the exact opposite thing so that's sort of what we're trying to do i like that a lot well you have me excited about that as well thank you um yeah Thanks for talking with us today, man. Yeah, really appreciate it. This has been yeah. fun. Yeah, thank you so much. This is awesome, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to plug before we close up? Um, no. I mean, Hawkeye's in stores now as of airing this uh, issue one. Um, in February, I'm doing uh, me and Juan and Ramirez on art are doing Force Works for Marvel, which is going to be a three-issue miniseries that I'm very excited about. Um. I have a bunch of stuff I can't announce. And then uh, hopefully in the spring, we're going to do what's the furthest place from here with image. So th those are kind of the things I can talk about. Um, but yeah, I, I just uh, go read comics. That's what yeah. I want to read. Giant Days. Giant Days is awesome. Giant Days is awesome. Um, yeah. Do you have anything you want to plug? I don't think down? so. Cool. Appreciate it, though. I was told, I got this from Black Cat Comics in Salt Lake. They told me to oh. tell you hi, Dragon oh. and Taylor. Say hi to Matt. Greg and Taylor are the best. That is one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite comic shop I've never been to. I've known yeah. them for a long time and like seen them places and uh, always email them and they're so supportive and kind to me. But I've never actually been there and I have to get out there very soon. Yeah, they they whispered some things about, but I got excited. But yeah, they like you a lot. They said to say hi. Awesome. Um, yeah, everybody go read Matt's books, and this has been another episode of DTR Comics. Thanks. Thank Thanks. you.